<laughs> Good evening, everybody. Our first song will be on uh, page 520, page 520. Here I labor and toll as I look for a home, just a humble abode among men, while in heaven a mansion is waiting for me, and a gentle voice pleading, come in. There's a mansion now empty just waiting for me At the end of life's troublesome way Many friends and dear loved ones will welcome me there Near the door of that mansion Someday, when my labor and toiling have ended below, and my hand shall lie folded in rest, I'll exchange this old home for a mansion up there. And invite the archangel as guest. There's a mansion now empty just waiting for me. At the end of life's troublesome way. Many friends and dear loved ones will welcome me there near the door of that mansion someday. Tonight I will be reading from Jude verses 17 through 21. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Next song will be on page 323. 323. I care not today what tomorrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth o'er everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confining in his great love. From arms say in his sheltering arm, I'm living by faith and 
feel no alarm. I know that he safely will carry me through, no matter what evils betide. Why should I then care that the tempest may blow if Jesus walks close to my side? Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confining in his great love. From a harm safe in his sheltering arm, I'm living by faith and feel no Our Lord will return to this earth some sweet day. No troubles will then all be o'er. The Master so greatly will lead us away beyond that blessed heavenly shore. Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confining in his great love. From a harm safe in his sheltering arms, I'm living by faith and feel no Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we just thank you so much for this beautiful Lord's Day, and we thank you for allowing us to gather here tonight as a band of thy children to sing these songs to praise thy great and holy name and hear another lesson your word. Dear Holy Father, just please be with Brother Tom tonight as he brings us a lesson series on grace. Dear Holy Father, we just uh, thank you so much for his ability and to bring your gospel message. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you will be with each one of us and we take the things that he says tonight and apply it to our lives so we can live closer to you tomorrow than we have in the past. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the congregation here at Stroudsville. We just thank you for the growth that we're having and uh, families placing membership here. And Heavenly Father, we hope we continue to grow in spirit and number. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that we had a sister uh, put you on this morning in baptism. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to please be with Lish as she uh, starts her Christian walk. Heavenly Father, please be with each one of us that we can help her along the way. And anything that she needs that we can help her. Heavenly Father, that we can be the example uh, to all our young people that they can look to us and we can help them in this world in which they live don't father because satan is trying every way he can to pull them away from the church don't father we just pray that you'll be with each one of us that we can uh, be that light that you'd have us to be in this dark cruel world don't father we just thank you so much that you was willing to come to this earth and live among men and die a cruel death on the cross that we can have a home in heaven heaven with thee someday if we're found faithful just please watch over us and bless us and forgive us for we fail you in christ's name we pray amen
The invitation song will be on page 587, Trust and Obey. 587, Trust and Obey. Before that, we'll sing on page uh, 687, Humble Yourselves. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. And he will lift you up. Jesus is the Son of is the Son of God, and he, he died for us, and he, he died for us. Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Son of God. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he to say thank you to Dale for organizing our service Wednesday night where we were praising God and singing in a, in a service of thanksgiving and all the individuals who helped with that. So thank you, Dale, and we're glad you're here and part of our group here at Stroudsville and leading singers for us. We're very blessed to be growing and to have talented people here at, uh, at Stroudsville. We wanted to welcome also the Litchfords who are here and place membership with us and and uh, we thank them for them being here, and we rejoice that Lish was baptized into Christ this morning. It's been a great day. So, Lish, just raise your hand so they can kind of see who you are, and they'll come and attack you after services and hug you and welcome you. And we just do that with family, you know. So, anyway, we're just so excited that uh, Lish put Christ on on baptism. A great, great day. Uh, I wish we could do that every Sunday. So, um, a challenge to all of you out there and part of our Stroudsville family, never forget to mention Jesus and tell people what he's done in your life and use an opportunity to reach out to someone who may be hurting, who needs Jesus. Um, I want to say thank you to Bobby for his prayer. Uh, I need help presenting this idea of grace and I need divine intervention, Bobby, so I want the elders to pray for me to help me figure out how to communicate grace effectively uh, to Let's be honest to brethren who really haven't heard many lessons on grace. We just haven't grown up hearing much about the subject of grace, and so it's often misunderstood. Last week, in fairness to those of you who are at the area-wide, thank you for going, by the way, uh, we brought lesson one, and we talked about when grace goes bad, 
um, and I had a little cartoon of some potato salad in the refrigerator that was holding a gun, you know, when potato salad goes bad. Grace really doesn't go bad because it's something perfect that God made. Amen. So grace is wonderful. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful, perfect gift. What makes grace uh, where it goes sideways is I think when human beings get involved and potentially uh, misuse grace. And so we're going to talk about that. Now, I want to be honest. Um, if y'all don't mind, I'll take just a minute and scoot this. Straddling the wire. There we go. Hope I didn't mess up the camera. Sorry about that, Harrison. Okay, we're good. Okay, I'm going to stand here, stand here. And so. We got people watching live streams, so I have to be careful of the camera. Rethinking grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 9, tells us straight out, it's grace that saves us, not our works. It's not, you know, how diligent we are to observe certain things. Uh, Let's just be honest. Paul tells us in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short, right? The wages of sin is death. We deserve the death penalty. Christians who are mature have to understand that we have to confess sin. We have to acknowledge the presence of sin in our lives We strive, we work hard, but even though we fall short, thank God that there is grace to cover our sin through the blood of Jesus. And so we are saved by grace, and Ephesians is very emphatic in stating this. So lesson two, we ask the question, can grace go bad? Even when it is something good the Lord has created, the answer is no, grace really can't go bad. It's perfect because God made it. And so uh, last week, what we attempted to do is we looked at two extremes, uh, sort of think of this as a continuum of grace. And so I'm sorry about this bad graphic, but maybe it'll get the, the, the point across. And so if we can go to the next slide, you have one poor gentleman who's on his deathbed, and he's the one that's sad. You see him laying in his bed. Now, this would be funny if it weren't true. You see, there's ministers who go to visit members of the church who are near death, and they'll say, brother so-and-so, I'm just so concerned. I'm worried. I just don't feel like I've done enough. I'm not ready to meet God because I've, I've just fallen short, you know, and that's true. Any of y'all ever heard this before, right? It's sad. It's a sad place to be, and, and I want to rebuke all of you. Don't be like that when I come see you on your deathbed, right? I want you to be excited and say, Brother Tom, I can't wait to be in heaven. I'm so excited. Thank you for those lessons on grace, and I've been looking forward to this day. Would you pray that I die? So I had somebody actually ask that one time, but I said, no, I won't pray, sister, that you die, but God will take you when he's ready. But anyway, the idea is that If we enjoy a a state of being saved by grace, then we long to be with the Lord. We look forward to being the Lord. We know that when death comes, and it will, uh, that we'll be prepared. So this poor individual on the left of the slide, I've fallen short. I'll never be good enough. I've just not done enough in this life. And so he's, he's facing death, not confident at all that he'll be welcomed into heaven. Let's not be like that. That's the, that's the sad end of the grace continuum. Now let's go all the way over to the right side. You see this guy in a red convertible. Nothing wrong with driving a convertible. That's fine. But he's sort of that playboy lifestyle, living, living the life. You know, he's done well. He, he's a member of the country club, and, and he's got the six-figure job. He's also saved. He's a Christian, right? Doesn't go to church very often, but he's saved. And his, his idea is... 
hey, God's grace is going to cover me. No matter what I do, I'm good. All right? Would you agree with that? Uh, wait a minute. I, I, see, I see a husband going like this and a wife going like this. So that's going to be an interesting discussion after the lesson. So think about it. I'm covered no matter what I do. All right? Think about that. Man, I'm living the life. I can, I can enjoy the best of the world and enjoy God's salvation at the same time. And so we tend to call these folks grace abusers, right? So here, here's where I really want to challenge you, and we've got a lot of territory to cover tonight, is this idea of where should we be on this grace continuum, you know? Should we be like that poor brother in his deathbed, fearful that we won't see the pearly gates, that we're just not good enough, that we failed? Or should we be like the person who says, no matter what I do, no matter how I live, grace covers me, I'm fine. What's that healthy position to be? And so my slide summarizes, one poor brother does not understand grace, um, tries to earn salvation. The other brother is abusing grace, taking license with the freedom to sin. Makes sense? The truth is, honestly, most of us are probably like the poor brother on the deathbed. We've not heard enough about grace to enjoy it. There are a lot of Christians that go around kind of sad and somber. You know, if you're happy and you're saved, let your face know. Smile. Enjoy yourself. Be happy. Rejoice and tell others about your salvation. So there's a time to be somber. There's a time to rejoice. But let us enjoy the grace. So let's be honest. The teachings and standards that Christians have to follow, they're hard. Amen? What did Jesus call the way? Enter ye by the narrow gate, right? The the path is difficult. It's hard. I've always said that the path to the world, that the world follows, is a five-lane superhighway, right? It's paved. You look over there, and there's a lot of people on it. It's the path of least resistance, the path of corruption, of money, of status, of all the things that Hollywood presents and offers to you that people chase a lot of their life, and they say, this is the life I want. It's what makes me successful and makes me happy. The problem is it's all a lie because it comes from the devil, right? So Jesus says, if you want to live, die. If you want to be successful in my kingdom, humble yourself, right? If you, if you, and, and the list goes on of all the paradoxes that we, that we are in Christianity, but it's hard uh, to follow the teachings of the Bible. Why? Because we're in a body of flesh and we struggle and we're mindful that I'm trying to do this, but my body wants to do this, and some days I lose, some days I, I don't succeed. So um, I'm thankful that there's grace. However, because there is grace, it's certainly not a license to forget that we still have to struggle. Does that make sense? I hope this makes, again, I pray for divine intervention. How can I share this concept with my brethren uh, and explain it in a way that makes sense? Let's listen to what Paul says in Romans 7. I figured Paul's a pretty good student of the Bible. He was a prolific writer of the New Testament. And Paul says to the church, he makes a confession in Romans 7. He says, I have the desire to do what is right. I'm like, good. But not the ability to carry it out. Why is that? Because my body, my flesh, keeps wanting to do the wrong thing. Can anybody relate to that? I can. I want to do the right thing. But my body keeps wanting to do the wrong thing. Verse 19 is, I do not do the good I want up here. I know the right thing to do, 
But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Do you hear the frustration in Paul's voice? Man, the devil, he got me again. I know better. Why did I fall for this? The evil I do not want is what I keep on doing, Paul says. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. When you have one of those days, like Paul describes in Romans 7, I think we ought to just get on our knees and thank God for grace and say, Lord, I failed you. It doesn't mean I'm lost, but your grace covers me, and I'm going to do better tomorrow. I'm going to get up and do better. Paul concludes in this chapter, I believe, Uh, He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Very interesting. Paul struggled with sin. Now, Paul also tells the brethren in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, in our next slide, he reminds us that while it is difficult, it's not impossible to be obedient. No temptation, he says, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there's hope. If you want to do the right thing and you're struggling, if intellectually you know the right choice but your body's wanting to do the wrong thing, just say, Lord, help me find that escape hatch, that escape door. Let me divert or do something that will take me off this temptation And I know that you're going to provide it. So I pray that you'll help me not sin. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, which we looked at last week, I'll ask you to turn there very quickly. Let me get my Bible open here. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul asks the rhetorical question, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it, in sin? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Then he goes into this idea of um, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection. We talked to Lish this morning about that when she gave her life to Jesus. So the idea uh, is that when we become a Christian like Lish did today, then we have to realize that if we symbolically said to the world, I'm dying to self, I'm crucifying this old man of flesh, then we need to keep him buried and not go back and engage in sin and say, well, it's okay. It's okay if I sin, even if I sin on purpose, because God has got this. His grace covers the sin. You see, it's kind of an easy temptation that we fall into uh, when we abuse grace. And so, I want to talk for just a few minutes. My next slide mentions the word abuse. You know what abuse means, right? Abuse is when there's something good and somebody around that takes advantage of that goodness and creates a problem. You can see uh, domestic violence or abuse when spouses are abused. And I know you guys, uh, Glenn and Judy, worked in CASA in Arkansas. You saw abuse all the time in the court systems where little children were in bad environments and perhaps abuse took place. So you have something perfect and good and wholesome that comes in contact with something that takes advantage of it, and it's not good. It's a bad outcome. And so if you're ready for a deep dive tonight, I ask you to fasten your seatbelts, and let's talk about the abuse of grace. We're going to do a quick study, and we're going to talk about that. The first thing I wanted to do is give you a quote 
from a gentleman by the name of Patrick O'Ben. Patrick is a, a medical doctor. I believe he lives in Iowa, but he also has a website where he talks in one of his articles about the abuse of grace. I thought it was worth sharing, uh, and I, I don't mind using him and quoting him, but let's go to that next slide and read this uh, quote from Patrick on the abuse of grace. Grace is abused, he says, when it is used contrary to the original intent or purpose of the giver of grace. Now, first of all, we have to identify who is the giver of grace. It's God, the Father, right? He's the one who offers that as a gift to us. So when it's used contrary to his intent or purpose, that's an abuse. He says, grace came to produce righteousness and bring humanity into the glory of God. How was grace ushered into the world? Lish knows, right? It was through Jesus Christ. It was the perfect person who came and offered himself as a sin offering and provided his blood as our death penalty. That was, I mean, boy, that is grace right there. And so that's how God ushered it into us. But he said, if you want to be a Christian and walk in the steps of Jesus, then crucify the fleshly man. So that's how uh, he produces righteousness in humanity. That's how we glorify God is when we deny self. Let's continue reading the quote. Now, when he speaks of grace, he says, when it, when grace is manipulated to produce the contrary, sin and shame, it is being adulterated. The abuse of grace is a systematic and satanic attack against the freedom we have in the grace that is in Christ. So abuse of grace. Um, Let's go to the next slide. So Paul is out there preaching this new law, the law of Christ, which is sometimes called the law of grace. Some of Paul's enemies, most likely Jews, who wanted to discredit him, who wanted to hold to the law of Moses, or they went uh, off in another direction and were abusing the grace that Paul spoke of. Some of these converts wanted to discredit Paul, and they made up lies about him and the other apostles and what they were teaching. And listen to Romans 3.8. Paul says this to the church at Rome. He says, and why not say... Just as some people slanderously claim, we say, let us do what is evil so that good may come. Their condemnation is deserved. All right, first point I want to make tonight. Are there people in the church? Let's go back to that prior slide. Are there some people in the church today who say, no matter how much you sin, God covers your grace. It's all good. Yes, there are. There are are brethren out there who are almost... Um, promoting sin. Let us do what is evil so that good may come. These false teachers that existed in the times of Paul were saying that Paul made that claim. The more sin, the more grace. So sin is good because grace comes into our life. Romans 6.1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, God forbid. All right, so my challenge tonight is this. Grace was never a gift to us to be abused that allows us to do whatever we want and say at the end of the day, it's okay, God's got it covered, I'm fine. I'll probably do the same thing tomorrow because God's grace will continue to cover me that day, the next day, and the day after. Well, do y'all see the problem here? What happened to repentance? 
what happened to the tears and, and the conviction in our heart. No matter how much we sin, God just piles on more grace. It's an abuse of his gift. Hope that makes sense. So Paul warns the church, watch out for those, uh, those grace abusers, and they are there. So I want you to turn tonight to Jude, down toward the end of the New Testament. Jude's chapter. And we're going to start in verse 3 and read quite a bit of Jude tonight. So if you've got a Bible marker or just want to keep that chapter open, uh, we're going to be referring to Jude two or three times in our lesson tonight and the remaining time that we have. He gives an introduction and then he says, I was going to talk about this, brethren, but there was something else that sort of in my heart convicted me to bring a different message. And I'm telling you that message now, beginning in verse 3. This is important. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people, Jude says, have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people. Now, I want to stop and ask you a question. When he says they crept in, where did they creep into? Think about that. Did they creep in a house? Did they creep in the temple? They crept in the church. The Lord's church have people who have crept in. Did anybody notice that they crept in? What does the text say? Go back to the text. They crept in unnoticed. All right. These false teachers are in stealth mode. Only the mature Christians will discern that they are giving a false teaching. They have a good message. It sounds encouraging. I like what this person has to say. They have a following that they gain. They start leading people astray. This is how the devil works in the church. He takes something good, begins to twist it, distort it. Sound familiar? And so this twisting or distorting is saying grace is good. No matter what you do, God's got you covered. You see, it's a false message. They were designated for condemnation. They're ungodly. They pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So go back to the continuum I showed. Um, would this be the man in the deathbed? Does that describe these people? No, it's the other end of the continuum, the grace abuser, right? No matter what you do, God's got it covered. It's fine. You can do whatever you want. Grace is good. The more we sin, the more grace is offered. Wrong. That's what these people are saying. They're ungodly, and they pervert grace. He says, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Then he mentions Sodom and Gomorrah, the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as example by undergoing punishment of eternal fire. 
And what's he saying? God is going to hold us accountable if we take something good like grace and we begin to abuse it. There will be a judgment. And he uses very specific examples of that judgment for the abuse of grace. He uses the uh, people who came out of Egypt. Remember the the ones who were hard-hearted and complained in the wilderness? What happened to them? They fell, right? What happened to the people in Sodom and Gomorrah? They were destroyed. What happened to the angels who left their position of authority and challenged God? And they sided with with the devil. They're chained up right now waiting for judgment. He says in verse 8, Speaking of these people, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams to file the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So the idea is that uh, we have to understand that these people that are coming in that are abusing grace, they're going to be held accountable. We need to be wise and discern. Look down at verse 16. He says, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, their loud mouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. These men are discontented grumblers following after their own lust. Their mouths spew arrogance. They flatter others for their own advantage. Simply, they're just false teachers. They come in and say, grace is good. God gave us a gift of grace. So, it's, it's almost like soft-peddling the gospel and saying God's not going to hold you accountable. He's got you all covered. Grace is good no matter what you do. And, and I, begin, I think we're beginning to see this trend in the church today. Are we come as you are. God will take you however you are. We don't teach the hard messages about repentance and sin and things that can bring condemnation on God's elect. Those are tough messages. And so there are people out there that want to have their ears tickled. There's these false teachers out there that are offering or soft peddling the gospel. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't have people in the church that are abusing the message and the gift of grace. So grace, which is a wonderful gift, can be abused by people who want to take advantage of a good thing. Now, one of the things I wanted to point out is this scary thing about the grace abuse is that it's happening in our own congregations. We have to be wise and discerning. And again, I'm, I'm thankful that our elders here at Stroudsville, um, they meet with families that want to place membership. They get to know them. They visit with them. Uh, a lot of times we don't let a new member just automatically start teaching class. Why? They have to kind of vet them, see where they're coming from, how mature are they, are they grounded in the word. And so those that teach our classes have been for a while, here for a while, we've observed them, and we want to make sure that they teach according to the Bible. Notice in uh, Jude verse 4, I asked you to, if you would open that chapter and kind of keep it. Look at verse 4. We mentioned in earlier, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They're ungodly. There will be false teachers among you, Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, just as there will be false teachers among you. Jude 17, I want to read that uh, and reiterate this. But you, beloved, remember what was foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
when they said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow after their own ungodly desires. These are the ones who cause divisions, who are worldly and devoid of the Spirit. I wanted to just talk for a moment about two different categories of people. You've got people out there in the world who don't have a message about grace because they don't even think they need grace. They're out there doing whatever they want to do, whatever the flesh tells them to do. They do it. They don't need God. They don't need to come to church. They think a lot of Christians are hypocrites anyway. And so the devil's not even worried about capturing people that he already has. You see, I think what the devil does in his, um, in his intellect and in his cunningness is he sends in people that are very articulate into the church, people who know the Bible well, and they twist and they distort and they mislead various people who begin to modify the scriptures. They begin to teach grace and its abuse, and they don't convict sin. And so we have to be careful and remember that these individuals are sent in among us. They are in the church, and so we have to be wise. We have to be discerning. We have to understand grace and study grace and know that it's a beautiful, perfect gift that God has given us, but yet one that has limits. Now, my next slide you might find a little odd, and I want to explain this. God's perfect grace has limits. You're like, "Mm, does it really? God's perfect grace has limits. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 6 and read verses 1 through 9, and I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. So turn with me to Hebrews six. Give you just a minute to get there. We'll spend a few minutes and then we'll offer the invitation. So you have a congregation of people who've been immersed in the blood of Jesus. They're walking in salvation. They're blessed with grace. And then you have a few that begin to abuse that grace, take advantage of grace, and they begin to sin willfully over and over and over again, knowing what to do. You see, they're under a covenant relationship, covered by the blood of Jesus. But yet, instead of confessing that sin, instead of falling on their knees and asking for the church and God to forgive them, they stand up rather proudly and say, it doesn't matter, we're covered by grace. So let's begin with chapter 6. And then we'll close our lesson tonight. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, this is rather frightening in verse 4. And I ask you to maybe make a note in your Bible, go back and study it. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. What does that mean? Been enlightened means that the person has learned about Jesus Christ and they've been taught the message of the gospel. They've been told, this is what you must do to be saved. They're like, yeah, I want to be saved. I don't want to be fearful of the eternal fires of hell. I want to be in heaven. I want to be saved. And so they've been enlightened. They have not only heard... They have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ and have walked in the blessings 
of being a child of God. They have received the Holy Spirit who dwells in them. See if that's what the text says. It says, They have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. All right, all that being true, they've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. And then, what does it say? They have fallen away. Now, there's some people out there that'll tell you flat out, you can't fall from grace, right? It's not consistent. The Bible says right here that those who once enjoyed a relationship with God and actually had God's Spirit living in them, they were covered in the blood of Jesus. They were enlightened. They had tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, Then they fell away. Once that happens, once that heart has become so hard, a person who is now blessed with this wonderful gift of grace that God has given them, they have abused the grace, right? No matter what I do, don't have to repent. I can live however I want. I'll be saved. Not true. It says that once they've fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, it's impossible. Let's read that again, verse 5. And have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are, this is the key, crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. What in the world is the writer in Hebrews saying? He said, if you have accepted this beautiful and free gift of grace to cover your sins, you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, to go out and engage in worldly things again and to neglect that gift, to abuse that gift, and to fall away. Those individuals, the writer in Hebrews is saying, they can't be restored again. They've abused the grace. Now he gives a very visual graphic illustration in verse 7. So I want you to think about the parable of the soils, okay? You got that in your mind? Remember the last of the four categories, the soils that bared fruit, right? That represents Christians who are out there doing the Lord's work and being productive. Think about these individuals who were covered by grace and then turned and went back into a sinful lifestyle as far as their fruit bearing. Verse 7, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But, verse 8, if that same soil after rain has fallen upon it, If it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. I think this is a classic example in Hebrews 6 of brethren who have taken the grace, that beautiful blessing and gift, and abused it to where they've lost it. God has removed that grace, and they have fallen. It is impossible to once again restore them and lead them to repentance. Verse 6, 
Paul says after this very stern admonition, this warning, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. What does that mean? We want you to be confident of your salvation. Confident in the grace that God has afforded you. But remember, you can't abuse grace and enjoy salvation. It doesn't add up. He says, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God's perfect grace has limits. We read Hebrews 6 verses 1 through 9. We tried to demonstrate a very clear um, illustration of how people were abusing grace and ended up falling away, losing their salvation because they re-entered the world and were defiled in their uh, sin. I hope this has been a lesson that sort of enlightened you. I know it's a deep dive when we get into grace and the abuse of grace, but I hope it at least stirs your mind. I've got this outline. If anybody would like a copy, you're certainly welcome. The invitation's yours tonight. We appreciate you being here and listening to this lesson, and if we can help you in any way in your Christian walk. If you're struggling in any way and we can pray for you, let us do that. Let us encourage you. Maybe you have someone that we can pray for that is not yet a Christian. And we rejoice that we've had one already put on Christ today in baptism. So let's stand and sing together, and we invite you to come while we're led in our song. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way while we do abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, 
Where he sins we will go, never fear, only trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no trust and obey. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, before I close the song, uh, uh, if anybody hasn't taken the Lord's Supper, it's prepared back in room one for you, so you can exit at this time. The final song will be on page uh, 259. Ring out the message. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out, ring it out. It will give them courage new, it will help them to be true. Ring it out, ring it out, ring out the word or land and sea. Still far from Jesus, many live in sin and doubt. Ring out the news that makes men free to all the lost of every nation. Ring it out. Sin and doubt to sweep away till shall dawn a better day. Ring it out, ring it out. Till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty Son. Ring it out, ring it out. Ring out the word or land and see. Still far from Jesus, many live in sin and doubt. Ring out the news that makes men free to all the lost of every nation. Ring it out. pray together. Dear Lord, we come before you thanking you for another beautiful day you have given us. We thank you for giving us the ability to gather here tonight and hear another message from your word about grace. And dear Lord, we thank you for that grace that is offered to us. And dear Lord, we pray that we, we take that and we show it to the world. And just be with us, and dear Lord, we pray that we pray for all the sick and the hurting, uh, those who have lost loved ones, just comfort them, and dear Lord, we pray for everybody in authority, and we pray that the elders uh, guide us and the deacons be with us, and dear Lord, we thank you most of all for your son Jesus, who died on the cross for the remission of our sin, and it's uh, through his name that we pray, amen. Amen.